This is the Bald Scientist Podcast, where we talk about science, from the factual to the fictional, and sometimes a bit of both, with the good doctor, One R. Pagan. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of the Bald Scientist Podcast. I am your host, and hopefully your favorite bald scientist, One. On November 21st, we celebrated the launch of my latest book, Drunk Flies and Stone Dolphins, A Trip Through the World of Animal Intoxication, published by the good people at Ben Bella Books. We celebrated this event in a YouTube virtual book party. Mind you, this was the English version. We had another, yes, another book party, this time in Spanish, on November 26. I will post the audio of the Celebración en Español soon. <laughs> this wonderful time would not have been possible without its intrepid host, Melissa McHugh-McGrath, host of the Bewildered Beast podcast, who gave her special spark and enthusiasm to the celebration. She did a wonderful job. And I also want to thank Melissa for cleaning up the audio and send it to me out of the kindness of her heart. What can I tell you? I have great friends. And my deepest gratitude also goes to our Master Jedi, Sofia Martinez Villalpando, host of the Biologist Apprentice video blog, who is well-versed on the dark arts of science communication and the various techniques to tell the world about it. In case you missed it, what follows is the audio of the book launch party. This was an evening full of fun with the company of friends and family who got together virtually to celebrate the book launch with me. I am happy to report that the reviews that I've seen of Drunk Flies and Stone Dolphins have been overwhelmingly positive, even enthusiastic. I am over the moon over this. I am also especially taken by a great review that appeared on the well-known magazine New Scientist, and I will post a link and the appropriate links on the show notes. I also want to tell the winners of the giveaways that I will send the, book, the signed books uh, this week. Before I go on, I would like to ask a small, uh, big favor. <laughs> if you read Drunk Flies and Stone Dolphins I would li- and would like to leave a review on Amazon, that would be great. And if you'd like, once you do it, please let me know so I can give you a shout-out in an upcoming episode of the podcast. Now, about the reviews. I would love to see them, warts and all. I would, of course, want to hear what is so wonderful about my book and to have only five-star reviews. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I'd rather hear what I can do better so I can improve my craft. It will be very much appreciated. As always, please subscribe to my podcast and to my blog. Spread the word about what we do. And if you want to contact me, please shoot me an email at orpagan at yahoo.com or contact me on Twitter. My handle is at ballscientist. With that being said, please enjoy the episode. I think we're live. This is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, everyone. Um, My name is Melissa McHugh McGrath. I am the host of the Bewilder Beast podcast, and we are here to help Dr. One Pagan bring out his awesome book. Uh, I actually have it right here, Drunk Flies and Stone Dolphins, to the world. It's live, just like (laughs) we are now, and we're not nervous at all. I'm used to doing podcasting, so I'm not used to seeing faces. So this is a whole new experience for me personally, but I'm very, very excited. Um, And um, One here has his book, um, Drunk Flies and Stone Dolphins, and we're going to be talking about it today. So I'm going to let One introduce himself and talk a little bit um, about why we're here. And then we're going to get into this really fun conversation where we're going to have prizes and talk about his book. One. Thank you, Melissa, and uh, thank you all of us for being here. Uh, it, it is funny because uh, off, sc- uh, off camera, quote unquote, before this, we began, I was telling the, that them that I'm nervous as heck, and I don't really know why, because I, I teach rooms full of 
200, 300 students, but uh, let's go, let's just uh, have fun. Let's just have fun. fun. Oh, we're gonna oh. have fun. Yes. And as I was I also telling you know, One here at the beginning, is that oh. like, we are taking this, yes, this is his book launch, this is something that is very exciting and he put a ton of work into this. Um, but we also want to address this as friends and to kind of take a more casual approach. So we've got some business attire up top and I've got some fuzzy PJ bottoms down below. So we've got some <laughs> Snoopy action going on. We just want to sit back and there's nothing that says this is a casual fun conversation more than steampunk earrings and fuzzy pajama bottoms. So, <laughs> so we got this. Okay, and I can promise that I'm wearing pants right here. <laughs> okay, so I promise all of you. So, but uh, more, more. Oh my God, I, I'm so happy about this. And and again, thank you, Melissa. I want to give a big shout out, uh, of course, to Melissa and very specially to Sofia Martinez Villalpando. She's our Jedi Master in electronics. She's also a biologist, and she has a she's an excellent vlogger with a bias in Victor. Uh, we will talk about her soon enough. So, but I, I want to thank some other people that uh, uh, that are integral to my life. People that uh, without you, uh, this wouldn't be possible. Lisa, the one and only Mrs. Ball scientist, and my children, Vanessa, Reinaldo, and Andy, in order of appearance, okay, in, in the world. Uh, thank you for your love. Thank you for making me a better man, a better dad. And well, this is for you. So I'm telling you, I also want to thank uh, the good people at Ben Bella, beginning with the big boss, uh, Glenn, and uh, Jennifer, Adrienne, and very specially to my editors, Laurel and Alexa. Without them, it would be the book would be gibberish. Uh, trust me. Children, listen to your editors. They know what they're doing. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, uh, a big shout out to them. Also, from the bottom of my heart, and I see one of them here, right here uh, in, the, in the chat, I want to thank my endorsers, uh, Dr. Marie McNeely of the People Behind of Science uh, podcast, Mr. Peter Codron, Mr. Micah Hanks, Dr. Justin Gregg, Mr. Matt, Matthew LaPlante, and very specially, our very own Sofia Martinez Villalpando, who also wrote an endorsement uh, of the book. Uh, finally, before we kick uh, the, the formali formalities here, I want to thank my university, Westchester University, and very especially my Department of Biology. You see, as fun as this is, this is part of my job, okay? My job is to be a science communicator at heart. I teach students. I teach uh, undergraduates, graduate students. I teach students in my own laboratory, okay? And by doing things like this, I'm teaching the public at large about science, which I love. I, I'm a geek, I'm a nerd at heart. And I want to talk about science, particularly biology to anybody within earshot. So thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here and that we get to talk about this book. Um, I, I personally was into this book the second I saw a picture of it on Twitter. I think we have a mutual friend, um, the uh, Just the Zoo of Us podcast, and I think she liked it. And I was like, stop everything. <laughs> this Venn diagram of all the yeah. things. <laughs> um, it's the, the title was great. The content was great. So sometimes you get a title and then eh. in this Thank case, you. like I was wrapped from the beginning to the end. Um, I... Um, I think that it's going to be um, important for those who might not know what your research is in. Um, and, and you have one of those little buddies there in the back. It's a little flatworm. Um, could you talk a little bit about your research and maybe your special take on this research that kind of led you into this book? Absolutely. Well, I'm a pharmacologist by training. I, I, do bio, I was formally trained in biochemistry and pharmacology. I never took a zoology uh, course in my life. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, the first anomaly uh, right there. One of these days, I'm telling you the, the whole story, but the point is that when I began working at Westchester University, I chose flatworms as my animal model to do pharmacology, biochemistry, and behavior, essentially, because I, I uh, 
work a lot on neurobiology as well, the brain, nervous system, things like that. So, oh, in that sense, I really want to give a big shout out uh, to uh, my, my lab laboratory students, past and present. And the current uh, group, it's uh, uh, several very talented undergraduate and graduate students, uh, which include, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Kimber, Maggie, Bree, Ben, Kaylin, Max, Taylor, Wura, Jessica, and Miguel. <laughs> okay, so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel like in this old radio station, so I want to say hello to mom, dad. The reason why I'm saying hi to all my uh, my students in the lab is that without them, research would, would just not be possible for me. Uh, okay, and, and I'm very grateful for that. The point is that I do pharmacology of abused uh, drugs of abuse, uh, no, abuse drugs, actually, uh, and I use planarians. For example, the type of planarians that I use in my research are the tiny freshwater uh, worms. They will be about a centimeter long. For reference, it would be about the uh, length of a typical fingernail, something like that. Wait, just the nail? Just the nail. That's the, the, the worms I work with. I was wow. gonna say I was gonna say my worms, but that sounds bad. <laughs> but you know, and uh, in uh, widewise, as it were, they are about a millimeter wide, which is about the width of a fingernail. Huh. And, and yet, those tiny animals are have a fully uh, sophisticated nervous system, including a brain, which is has many of the neurotransmitters that we do. Uh, many of the behaviors that we have, including including the capacity to be affected by abuse drugs. For example, you put nicotine in the water, right? And leave nicotine there for a while. You take the nicotine away, the worms go crazy. They start swimming like corkscrewing. They start like, like a cobra looking for something. As really if weird. they were coming off of an addiction or, or exactly. seeking out the drug. Pretty much, yeah. Well, it, it's... Uh, uh, now it's a well-established model of addiction, which is uh, atypical because most uh, addiction laboratories, they work with vertebrates, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah. But through our research and the research of others, we are establishing this uh, type of organism as a model in neurobiology and pharmacology. Okay, But these planarians, they have an additional characteristic that, that very few animals have. If you if you are a planarian, okay, here, and you cut its head off, it will regrow it. Yeah, that it was will, my favorite part. Like, <laughs> yeah, it will regrow their heads. They will regrow their heads, and with the correct organization of their nervous system. Okay, it's not just like they regrow it willy nilly. Imagine if we learn how to do that. People with uh, brain damage from accidents, stroke, Alzheimer. Uh, okay, we cannot regenerate nervous systems. I mean, we have a certain degree of uh, regeneration and people can recover from strokes and things like that. But uh, planarians, they are kind of the, well, they're actually masters of regeneration. And so the guillotine wouldn't really be a thing that would, be, <laughs> would bother them very much. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. And Marie Antoinette, that, I bet, really wished that she had some planarian genes. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, uh, let's go there because I know a couple of people who are working in, in, in problems like this. Yeah. Uh, and this this is coming at some point. Oh, there's Loani, a friend of ours uh, in the chat. Hello, Loani. Thank you for being here. And our very own Sophia is there. Well, welcoming everyone. Yay. Now. How do we go to the planarians on cocaine or nicotine to the book? That got me into thinking. I'm always thinking. Actually, I can tell you only three times in my life when I have not been thinking at all, where my mind went completely blank. It's the times when I met my three children for the first time. Really. I, I can honestly tell you, I looked at those babies, uh, not at the same time because Vanessa is uh, 30, don't tell anyone. Uh, Reynaldo is 24, almost 24, and Andy's 20. But when I saw those babies, like my mind went completely blank as him. I'm responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but other than that, I'm always thinking. 
being okay. on the other side of that, like having a kid, like being the the incubator and then producer of the child. <laughs> my first thought was literally, I I will love you, but I really need some macaroni and cheese. <laughs> All I wanted to do. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I saw her, then my mind went blank. But like, I just needed food. Yeah, yeah, I I, can, I cannot even begin to imagine that. Uh, okay, so I uh, won't even try. Oh, I want to say hello to Mr. Peter Codron, uh, who is one of my endorsers. He's a, a best-selling, international best-selling author, science fiction, and one of my writing buddies since forever. And my very own daughter, Giselle Vanessa Pagan, is in the Aww. is in the chat. So love you, my uh, my baby girl. Steve from Ottawa, and let me come. Uh, hi, Steve. And Kimber from my own lab. Woohoo! <laughs> so, okay, I'll I'll stop there because I, I want to. No, you you are, this is your day. You it's have all the fun. You deserve but, all of this. <laughs> you have worked so hard, and this yeah, is no, so good. Well, thank you. This is but your I, party. Uh, and I and I appreciate it absolutely. I should have sent you a hat, like a little party hat. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have something there, but I will not I will not wear. <laughs> anyway, so. Thinking about animals and drugs is a natural extension about working with planarians. And I kept thinking about many things. Of course, I knew about the legends of how coffee was discovered, that bees can get drunk. With the goats, but, right? The uh, dancing goats. With yeah. the dancing goats, yeah. And, and once I began actually researching the book for real, I learned so many things about animals that I wouldn't even think that they could be uh, amenable to intoxication. <laughs> so that's the, the with me, you, there's no very short stories. <laughs> I, I elaborate. And this is why we're friends. So, <laughs> um, so now that um, we've talked about your research with these flatworms, with uh, their magic ability of being able to get their heads essentially decapitated and being able to regrow. Um, the question that I've had on my mind since the second I picked up this book and knowing that your whole background is in planarians and yes, in cocaine, um, if you were to take a, a flatworm who was addicted to, it could be nicotine, it could be cocaine, it could be literally anything, it could be a smartphone, um, and you were to chop off its head and you were to regrow two new planarians, right? Because like it can regrow the head and the body, correct? Yes. Okay. So you now have two planarians. Would each of them still um, suffer from the same addiction? Actually, that's a very important question that some people are, are actually researching right now. Uh, uh, okay. So I cannot tell you that for a fact. I have okay. a hunch that it, that will be the case. Yeah. But I can tell you this, I can tell you this. If you train a planarian to avoid light, okay? Mm -hmm. Or avoid an electrical shock, okay? Just like you would do on any other animal. Then you will chop its head off and you put the head away. By the way, the head will not die. They will keep swimming. The body will not die. That's just so when, cool. <laughs> yes, they, they are. And if when the body regenerates its head, they retain some memories uh, of the, the training. They retain, yeah, the tail remembers. This <laughs> freaks me out. <laughs> yes, and th these, were, these were some experiments in the 60s where they began doing that, but they were criticized because of, well, technical matters and whatnot. Sure. But more recently, uh, some scientists that I actually know uh, personally, I know they are doing things right okay, have replicated this type of experiments in an automated way with computers, eliminating bias and whatnot. And it is true. I mean, it's, uh, this seems to be a real effect. So there's, uh, they are an endless source of fascination. You might, might say that the fascination regenerates every single time. Oh my God. That is just wild to me. And, and it, I wouldn't be surprised. I think I'd be more surprised if they worked um, but there's this thing with butterflies that like, um, this trainer, so my background is in dog training and animal behavior and training. Yes. Um, and with butterflies in particular, when you take a caterpillar, this famous trainer, Ken Ramirez, 
was hired by some university for their graduation to take these butterflies and have them fly um, three different color butterflies to three different parts of the stadium. Mm -hmm. um, in order to do that, though, you only have a two-week <laughs> opportunity with these butterflies or else they die. So you have to do all of their training while they're caterpillars. While they are caterpillars, they do all the training and they go to their targeted color. Um, great. They go into the cocoon where they turn to mush, reconfigure, become winged animals, and then go out into the world after this huge metamorphosis that we all know about. Um, mm -hmm. The butterflies were able to do that and go to that specific color, and which makes me realize they remember turning to goo and reconfiguring their body. It's wild what animals can do, especially these regenerating and, and um, metamorphosizing animals. Um, and, and you can learn so much by how they learn and what they can reproduce after some sort of major trauma or major change. Um, so I'd be more surprised if they didn't retain that addiction. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. that it would be fascinating science regardless. Absolutely. Uh, and in the case of the butterflies that you just described, you said it perfectly. They turn into goo because it's not like they like they retain their brains in metamorphosis and they, they rebuild their bodies. No, it's a soup of chemicals there, yes. essentially. Yeah, no, no. It's mind boggling. Mind boggling. Yeah, it's like you get like <laughs> like a caterpillar yep. lard of butter and then they basically melt. <laughs> they yep. reform into this beautiful butterfly. It's oh. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to a squirrel mo moment. Uh, I want do. to say hello to Dr. Eric Sweet. He's one of my friends and colleagues in my department. Hey, and um, oh, and my brother Eddie Reyes, Net Cacique. Eddie and I have known each other for the better part of almost forty years. We were college classmates. We were freshmen to get together at the University of Puerto Rico. So hi, Eddie. Hi, Kaori, and hi, Alex. That's his family. Aw, hi everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, this is so cool. It um, is. Going back um, to, uh, I'm going to just keep bringing it back to cocaine. I, <laughs> it seems like the topic at hand. Yeah. Um, before we started today, um, I noticed that you had a tattoo. Um, I have several <laughs> tattoos. I'm very excited. Um, and I'm pretty sure that um, had you talked to uh, Live Science and the BBC and like all of these other really cool outfits, they didn't ask you about the tattoo. So I'm going to. Can you talk to us about that? Uh, absolutely. Let me see if I can show it here. Okay. Yep. It this compound... looks like chemistry. Uh, it looks I, I like know... something I would have had to memorize in chemistry class. Oh, but... no, 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 no. It, it, I, I've shown it to chemists. Many chemists don't even know it, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, that compound is called parthenolite, and it's a component of a plant called feverfew. Okay? Uh, they use it as a folk remedy for migraines, inflammation, you know, conditions like that. A long, a long time ago in a place far, far away, <laughs> uh, I work with several similar compounds, uh, okay, that I described for my master's thesis that they interacted with local anesthetics, okay? Let's put, okay. Uh, put a pin on that uh, for a second. Cocaine is an example of a local anesthetic. It's the prototypical example of a local anesthetic, okay? Hmm. So let's put a pin on that. So I, uh, I went for my PhD. By the way, I did it at 35. So I'm a non-traditional student. Uh, I got my bachelor's work, got my master's work, uh, and at 35. So any non-traditional students uh, there, uh, you can do it. Oh, Dr. Megan Fork from my department. Ah, hi, Megan. So why am I waving? Uh, You're you, very you excited. That's why. So I am. I am. I, I am very excited. <laughs> so uh, I did my PhD, and when I came to Westchester University, I needed an animal model. My uh, ch chosen animal model were the planarians, but I had established, established in my master's and in my PhD that parthenolite interacted with cocaine in uh, what we call in vitro or ex vivo, meaning not in the, in, in the animal. Oh, okay? okay. So I hypothesized that parthenolite was going to be a behavioral antagonist of cocaine meaning that we can give cocaine to the worms, 
in planarians. Okay. We can uh, make them addicted to planarian, or we can try to induce acute toxicity, like mimicking overdose yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the planarians. And parthenolite, we rescue uh, that. It did happen. So is this like, like how we would hear about Narcan being used in overdoses, but this is for cocaine in for these cocaine. In flatworms, and it works on rats too. Really? Yes. So um, actually, uh, one of my co-workers that, that is here right now, Dr. Sweet and I are collaborating, beginning to collaborate in, in that effort. So, uh, so it did work. We published several papers. It seems to be specific uh, against cocaine. Oh, by the way, I don't store cocaine in my laboratory, uh, okay? Uh, the cocaine is uh, at the university under lock and key, like padded. So, so I want to put that out there. <laughs> you don't <laughs> just, just like have a bag of it in your yeah. lunchbox. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I promise not. not. Uh, so, uh, so it worked, it's specific against cocaine and we, we established several uh, biochemical properties that describe the parts of the molecule that are the business end of the, of the molecule. Well, and we are continuing. Now, about the tattoo. My uh, very own Giselle Vanessa Pagan, my daughter, uh, she wanted to get a tattoo. And she wanted me to go with her uh, as a, you know, uh, dad and uh, daughter, you know. The bonding uh, experience. You get to hang exactly. out with. But I, I was originally going to accompany her. Okay. I, I'm, I've been thinking, you know, about that for, you know, for, for a while. And then Vanessa actually asked me, well, why don't you get one too? And I thought about it and, ooh, okay. When, <laughs> when did she ask you? Were you guys at the parlor? or was uh, no, it like no, 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 well, no. It was like a few days before. A few okay, days good. Before. Because they don't usually have flash of like these yeah. obscure, no, 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 like, no, no, no. This was compounds. planned. This was planned. Okay, uh, good. So, so, but I, I realized that uh, I started thinking about what would I put him on myself, uh, yeah. okay? And parthenolite means a lot to me. Uh, I've written a bunch of papers. Part of my first book uh, was about parthenolite. So that's what I did. Well done. Here's the kicker. That was a couple of years ago. I'm 56 right now. That was at 54, uh -huh. okay? My mom was mad at me. <laughs> 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 it kind of is because I, I got a tattoo. Uh, uh, for, for the longest time, uh, and if uh, Mama is watching, because I, I sent the link to my brothers and, and my niece, so Mama, you know, Mama, Mommy. Uh, mama, tattoos are great. They're fun. Yeah. <laughs> but she's cooled down. She's cooled down about that. Uh, she hasn't but, shown but, you her full sleeve yet. That's why. No, she's, not yet. Uh, she'll show you Thanksgiving. The, the point is that I, I'm a, I, I was a 54-year-old man with a grown-up grown kid. That was cute. That, was that is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah, yeah, my dad took my 18 year old sister at the time to go get her first tattoo. And okay. she got, speaking of butterflies, a giant butterfly, because, you know, 18 year old girl, that's what we do, I guess. And, and so she got this big butterfly on her back. Um, and I had come home from college. I was 21. Um, and I had gotten a tattoo. Um, it was right after September 11th, actually. I got it to after that. And um, it's on my back and it's not small. <laughs> and my dad, who had taken my sister to go get her tattoo, saw me with a back tattoo and lost his mind. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I was just like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel fair. <laughs> like, yeah. he's like, well, I went with her. <laughs> like, I was in Ohio. Like, yeah. Um, well, you never know how we parents are going to react. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. Oh, and, and when we were, were there, I, I was having a lot of fun, but Vanessa's, ta Vanessa's tattoo hurt like heck. Oh. <laughs> and, and, I, and I taped her swearing and everything. She knows this. But uh, back to drugs and stuff. Yes, let's, let's get off of tattoos and back to the drugs, back to the cocaine <laughs> yeah. where we should go. Um, <laughs> so I think one thing we were going to try to do was try to do a giveaway. Um, and... We were shooting around a couple of ideas. I was shooting around maybe some really ridiculous ones, but um, I don't know if you had any better ideas. Um, I can't see the YouTube side. I'm only on the um, the StreamYard side. Mm -hmm. So um, One or Sophia might be able to choose. But how about we do um, 
uh, if Sophia has that randomizer, maybe we could do a randomizer or we could do okay. something else. What do you think, Sophia? Just nod or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, be, before, we, uh, while Sophia figured this she out. Said, okay. Yeah, okay. I want to okay. say hello to Dr. Sai Gart. Gart. Uh, he's one of my friends, and uh, thank you for being here. And say hello to Aniko. All right. Sophia said she'll check it out. So we will do the first giveaway here shortly. Okay. Um, while Should we're I? doing... Oh, go right. ahead. No, oh, no, go sorry. Ahead. Um, so one of the more interesting animals that I remember reading about in this book, um, of course, were the, um, the stoned dolphins with the puffer fish. It's in the title. I kind of feel like we should talk about it. <laughs> like, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, and and as I was reading, it's it's one of the um, not to spoil the ending, but it's one of the last animals that you bring up. So the whole time I'm reading the book, I'm like, but where are the stoned dolphins? <laughs> like, did I miss it? Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, how you learned about these dolphins, what it is that they do, and how they use puffer fish to get high? Okay. So very quickly, I want to say hello to Aniko, Dr. Garte's wife, and to Maggie, my own Maggie from my own lab. So uh, paradoxically, that's the part of uh, the, well, let's put it this way. That story has not, oh, I hear, I hear some feedback. Is, is it on my side? Oh, I don't hear it. Okay. Okay. Uh, now it's gone. Oh, it's good. Gone. It's probably a poltergeist or, or, or something. It's definitely a haunted office. Uh, uh, probably, probably. Uh, don't <laughs> say that. There's no one else. <laughs> okay, but that joke aside, uh, joke aside. So that part of the, the the story of the stone dolphins has not been studied scientifically uh, yet, yet. But here's a story. A few years back, a documentary crew was filming dolphins underwater, a pod of dolphins. And they noticed that they were passing around a puffer fish. Now, a puffer fish is this, if you remember Finding Nemo, uh, yes. uh, that they will go like with spikes and everything. Uh, so, and uh, from SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, well, there's a, a bunch. Those type of fish are, are famous for being highly toxic. All right, they uh, produce a specific toxin called tetrodotoxin, and it's a really nasty toxin. Uh, okay, no known antidote. Antidote it causes death by uh, paralysis of nervous systems. All these type of things. Oh my god! But those dolphins were not eating the puffer fish, but they were nibbling on it. Okay, they kept it alive, and they they were passing it to each other. Okay, as if were as if they were passing like, something, like yes. puff puff pass. Yeah, they, they were are just something like that. Okay, it, yeah. So, and as uh, anecdotally, the filmmakers and, and other people and other people uh, seem to observe that the dolphins seem mellower. Uh, uh, okay, but then again, I don't even know what I'm thinking most of the time, let alone what a dolphin is thinking. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so but it's no far so far fetched because we have to start from the perspective that the nervous system of dolphins will be uh, will be similar uh, to ours, okay? And it stands to reason that even if they, uh, they can find cocaine or nicotine uh, in, in underwater, they may find something else. Also, they are much bigger animals and they may be able to resist tetrodotoxin better than, than, than us. Mm -hmm. Also, in humans, tetrodotoxin is known to cause psychoactive effects, okay? Oh, really? Be, yeah, it won't get you high or something, anything like that, but there's some psychoactive effects. Uh, the people who uh, who enjoy eating puffer fish, and Loani uh, reminded me, uh, the name is fugu. It's uh, like a delicacy in parts of Japan. They love the tingling sensation that it causes uh, when it uh, touches their lips and tongue. Huh. The very same sensation that you begin to feel when you go to the dentist and they put local anesthetics. 
it happens to interact with the same type of channels that local anesthetic anesthetics interact with. The thing about it is that in, in high amounts, local anesthetics can kill you. So well, in yeah. high amounts, tetrodotoxin can kill you. So I'm sure there's going to be people thinking about this and trying to study dolphin uh, neurochemistry and neurobiology. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure somebody's thinking about that, and I would love to see what they find. I am very curious to see where that goes, because, like, um, I mean, you've got the startle response of the pufferfish, and then you've got these dolphins who are pretending that they're like a, an Olympic <laughs> beach volleyball yep. and just passing it around. Oh, um, hello to my friends at Weird Biology. Hi, Sean. <laughs> Aww. <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so let's see. Um, we do have some other questions. I'm not sure if there are any in the chat on your side there, One, that you can see from YouTube. I'm not seeing anything over here. Um, no, but if I, I anybody questions. has questions, you can go ahead and you can just drop it in the chat. Uh, we are taking questions throughout today. Um, if you have any comments, mm -hmm. um, this is a family-friendly show, so just kind of keep that yes. in mind. Yep. Um, there is a nine-year-old right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you like to hear a selection of the book? I would love to. While well, people are getting okay. their thoughts together, yeah, exactly. Well, we, well, we get disorganized. So, yay! Uh, uh, again, thank you. This is the this is the book, and I have selected four short dish uh, selections, and the one that I want to start with deals with a couple of organisms that I'm very acquainted with. They're not planarians. And I don't have, we don't have grandchildren yet, but I do have two grandcats, okay? They belong to our daughter, uh, Giselle Vanessa, and they, the cats are actually pictured in the book. I loved seeing, uh, just going back to this, like seeing some of yeah. the pictures of like, that were very personal to you to put into this yes. book. It was not as, it, yes, there was some clinical stuff in there, but it was really for uh, somebody like me who did not study science, um, who did not like have to like, doesn't have a degree in, in advanced science. Um, and the, the footnotes were amazing. And like the little anecdotes, especially of where I think you're going with this, with these two cats. Um, no. it's all yeah. very personal and it's all very personal bull. So I think, um, for anybody who's here, who's like, well, I'm not really like, I might not be able to follow. I don't know how chemistry occurs. <laughs> like this yeah, and, is and going to be very readable, fun. very digestible. And that's per And thank you for your kind words. And I personally think that anybody and everybody can, can learn science. Uh, uh okay. And, uh, I, this is something that I do in my lectures uh, every time. Girls, women can do math; they can do science. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. and and uh, gir girls out there, don't let any bad person tell you otherwise. I was going to say something, but I remember that a little girl is there. <laughs> oh, it's uh, uh, nothing so, she hasn't heard from her mama, but I don't know who I else know, is another but, room. But, yeah. <laughs> so I happen to be married to a very talented medical laboratory scientist. Uh, okay, so and, and Lisa will be smarter than I'll ever be, and uh, she knows this. She reminds me of that, and <laughs> <laughs> she likes staying, telling me that you're so smart for certain things. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna read you a selection of the book. Uh, it's some. It, it begins on page two twenty-two, and it's titled "Chilling or Not with Some Cats." a relatively common psychoactive substance that affects human animals, and one which you are likely to be familiar is catnip. Nepeta cataria is a plant found the world over, and it was used in traditional medicine as an antipyretic, means anti-fever, a remedy in Europe for millennia. The main active component of catnip is nepetolactone, which is currently being investigated as a mosquito repellent, of all things, as an antimicrobial and as analgesic, among many other applications of interest to humans. And by the way, there's a structure of uh, the compound. I happen to love structures, and it's right there. That's catnip. I, I mean, the active 
Uh, you need to get that on your other arm. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, let, let's see. <laughs> let's see what my mom says. But <laughs> Okay. Of interest to humans. However, the best known targets, quote unquote, of catnip in general and the pedalactone in particular are cats, big and small. Despite the aforementioned medic medic medicinal effects of the pedalactone, as far as we know, cats act actively pursue and consume catnip for pure pleasure. I have two grandcats. Their loving human is my daughter, Giselle Vanessa, who is very much loved herself. Her first cat was Elune, uh, and in a footnote, his name means gift from heaven in the native language of the Taino Indians of uh, native, well, na native Puerto Ricans uh, in, in the island. Uh, Elune is a lovely, affectionate, white, white and black male who nonetheless looks permanently pissed off thanks to a natural expression that gives the dearly departed grumpy cat a run for his money. <laughs> a few months after Elune, Vanessa adopted Elara, which is a character in Greek uh, mythology, mythology and the name of Jupiter's of one of Jupiter's moons. So Elara is a sweet looking calico cat. Alas, she's much, and I mean, and I mean much grumpier than Elune. Her vet, Elara's, not Vanessa's, told <laughs> Vanessa that, <laughs> that the demeanor of calico females tends to be on the grump, grumpy side in general, but as a dog person myself, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Here comes the interesting part. The behavior of my grandcats on catnip is a perfect illustration of one of, of the principles we mentioned in chapter two, namely that with any psychoactive drug, the effect of a subject's behavior uh, and has a lot to do with, uh, why am I trying to speak? I can't read it, sorry. <laughs> you have notes. <laughs> yeah, I have notes. Has a lot to do with things like the subject's sex and or, or their specific genetic makeup. For example, upon being exposed to a catnip-containing toy, this is Elune. Okay, this place typical, quote unquote, high as kite behaviors. <laughs> he gazes intently at the ceiling, looking very peaceful and softly meows from time to time as if immersed in deep philosophical thoughts. Here's an, an impression of Elune. Meow. <laughs> Meow. Okay, that's Elune. In contrast, when Elara gets a hold of the same toy, she goes absolutely ballistic. She runs around Vanessa's apartment as if, as if fleeing from an unseen yet obviously terrifying enemy. I'm not going to mimic uh, Elara's running, but that's the one of the things about pharmacology. The same drug can affect two different individuals of the same species differently. And that's the story of my two grandkids. And it's so fascinating too, because like I work in behavior, in animal behavior. And so when we're, uh, when I'm working with clients who I refer to veterinarians to maybe seek uh, medicinal assistance in their animal's behavior, um, sometimes I have to have that conversation of, well, this one drug might not work for your pet, but it might. And if mm -hmm. it doesn't, that doesn't mean that your dog isn't, or cat, is not going to respond to medicine. It's just that that particular compound is not going to work for your particular pet and that there are other options out there and that it's really important also for humans, um, human psychology, psychiatry, um, even pain management, that there's so many different ways that medication can affect us and other animals, whether it's medicinal or recreational, that might be off of the bell curve for yep. some individuals and that's really important to keep in mind yeah you are absolutely right yeah. yep except for that one dolphin who took a bite out of that puffer fish and really went zooming around <laughs> yeah i hear you but let's see what happens there <laughs> so we do have a couple of questions here from the okay. chat um so peter crawden 
can you tell us more about Santa and his reindeer? And and I actually had a Bill Wilderbeast um, episode on that. So I have some things to say, but I want to have you speak to this as well. Okay, so uh, this is certainly an, uh, a legendary uh, idea. And it has to do with uh, psychoactive fungi. All right? So uh, the Christmas colors, as it were, are well like red, green, things like that. And of course, speckled with white, okay? That just so happens to be more or less the same combination of colors, colors of a species of psychoactive fungi called Amanita muscaria, okay? So- I was just and, Googling it to make sure that I had the right one, but that was correct, yes. Yes, yeah. So uh, that's the, 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 the kind of the sciency part of it. Now the sheer speculation part. Okay, uh, some people propose, this is not my idea, I read it somewhere and it was too good to leave it outside of the book. Okay, some people uh, propose that, uh, well, we have to, to think uh, that the Santa Claus uh, legend originates in the northern parts of with, where there's caribou, reindeer, uh, you know, uh, animals like that. The main idea is that people in those latitudes, uh, they ingested fungi uh, like that, uh, okay? They began hallucinating. And I would say that a very good hallucination would be uh, a guy not unlike me with a big beard, maybe a lot more hair, flying <laughs> up in the air, uh, you know, carried by a reindeer, <laughs> okay? So and that's kind of, some people have proposed that maybe, I suspect a little tongue-in-cheeky uh, in a way, but again, it's fun to speculate. Uh, and super fun to speculate, especially yeah, when you yeah. think about like, what else are you going to do up there in the cold? <laughs> like, yeah. this is before we had Twitter. This is before Absolutely. we had Absolutely. Uh, uh, penicillin. So this yeah. is like old timey times yeah. where people would go out and they would dry mushrooms for the winter and try to hold on to these, um, anything that they could to store. And then if you just had a couple of fun ones just before the uh, the solstice, you might see reindeer fly. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other question we have is weird biology. Love the handle. Didn't the U.S. government try to use LSD to teach dolphins to speak? Um, I will say that the U.S. government um, has used LSD for a lot of things, <laughs> including trying to get the military to uh, use their minds to stop the hearts of goats. Um, yeah. There is a whole movie on that. Um, and that they have used uh, medication or uh, psychoactive drugs for a lot of things. Um, I don't know about the dolphins to speak, though. Can you speak to that? Yeah, uh, uh, kind of. <laughs> okay. So uh, the research in question was performed by Dr. John Lilly. Uh, he was a physician who specialized in neurology and psychiatry. And uh, despite the out of, uh, you know, the out of the park research uh, about the dolphins and everything, he began his career as a traditional uh, neuroscientist, okay? He was very interested not only in animal behavior, but on the function of the brain itself, okay? So he correctly reasoned that dolphins, uh, by virtue of having a relatively well-developed brain, actually their brains is huge, bigger compared to ours, uh, their bodies are bigger too, but that's the, uh, beside the question, uh, uh, that's part of the question, but you know what I mean. Dolphins are also very intelligent animals. Uh, they live in societies. Uh, misconception uh, about dolphins is that they are very nice and very gentle. No, some dolphins are all real, real jerks. I'll say that, that's uh, one thing uh, that we need to uh, to understand. But they are social animals. So, he proposed the idea of giving LSD, lysergic acid diethylamide. Uh, it's uh, one of the, you know, par excellence psychoactive uh, chemicals in order to try to learn not precisely to speak, but for communicating uh, with humans. Okay, that's one thing. As an interesting aside, his research got the attention of the astrobiology community. <laughs> okay. Oh. He was invited 
to the very first SETI Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence conference in the 1960s. That's a, a very famous uh, meeting. And he was the only kind of biologist. No, actually, no, that's not true. The person who discovered photosynthesis was also invited there. And they told him about the Nobel Prize that he won for photosynthesis in the meeting. I love the history of science, but uh, and I tend to <laughs> digress. So anyway, John Lilly was there because the organizers of the conference, well, they reasoned, again, correctly, that if we have any hope of communicating with anything out there, we should learn how to communicate with things in here uh, on the planet. And yeah, to this date, we don't know how dolphin, dolphins say hello or whatever. Or we, uh, I mean, we, we, we know we can train them. Mm -hmm. uh, we know we, they are, they can get psychosis, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stories about uh, killer whales, which is the biggest type of uh, dolphin, uh, that when they are, uh, well, in captivity without any, you know, freedom or any, they get, they go nuts, uh, mm -hmm. essentially. And, and, and I suspect that would be true of dolphins. And in fact, there were several instances of cases in John Lilly's research where dolphins got attached to researchers. And when the researcher left, at least one of them seemed to have committed suicide. I remember this story, yeah. yeah. Just took a big gasp of air and sunk to the yes. bottom of the tank and would not yep. come back up. Yep. Yes. So that's, it. that's a short story of how do dolphins were laced by LSD. A very short tale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He also tried to give elephants LSD, incidentally. Oh, God. <laughs> Same guy. Same guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I do know that in your book, you had also talked about these spiders. Um, and people who are here that have heard my show know that I have a phobia of a particular eight-legged creature. <laughs> um, but I will say... Um, after having a phobia for 40 years, um, I've been getting a lot better having, um, having a doing a show on animals. Um, it really does help to learn about your fear. Um, but also like being in a tiny closet recording <laughs> where you might have like, oh, little I know. yeah, that's right. Um, but, um, when I got to the part in your book and, and this is probably, a not a, a side effect that you expected. But then again, like the, the drug always hits the person a little differently, the individual differently. Um, you got to the part about um, the spiders with the webs and, you know, one was on marijuana, one was on ecstasy, one was on LSD. And you could see like all the different webbing patterns. And spiders. Mrs. Bolt Scientist drew that picture for me. That was fantastic. Yeah. It was so good. Um, <laughs> that is the closest to being able to look at spider paraphernalia I have ever gotten in my entire life two facts stuck out to me that I don't think I would have been able to read in any other book but yours because like the uh, amygdala hijack. <laughs> one would be was that um, there is one species of spider that is completely vegetarian. And I feel like I should maybe be friends with that spider. <laughs> yeah. Two, that it's mostly uh, lady spiders who build the webs and make uh, webbing. Um, I did not know that, and I learned that from your book. Well, thank you. It was a little uh, like the, aside, and it had nothing to do with drugs. Um, well, but there's there's no higher praise when a person like you tells me that they learned something because of me. So thank you. Oh, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got thank over a little bit of my you. fear. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting getting better. Yeah. And in part, a big part because of since, those since two facts sharing, in your book is helping me chip away oh, at this lifelong phobia. So thank you. <laughs> okay, so since we're sharing, I'm going to share with you a phobia of mine. Hmm. Okay. Puerto Rico is full of these tiny lizards, the anoles. Oh, yeah. Okay? Yeah. I'm terrified of them. Oh, no. I know I know here that they cannot bite me. They cannot hurt me. They cannot. Yeah. But here I'm terrified. Of, I'm a very bad Puerto Rican. I oh, want it's to okay. My friend was in Puerto Rico. I went to visit her. I had my daughter. She was four. And we went to the backyard to pick some mangoes. And I'm like, hey, what are those little mounds? And she goes, tarantulas. And I just left. Oh, I my. left my kid. I left my friend. Oh, my. I left. <laughs> and she was like, 
what do I do with I'm this not, child? I'm like, just laugh, bring her but... back safely. I can't be here. I just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think some someone is saying hello to you, Melissa. Major Dumperu. Oh, hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Sophia put a lizard there. I still like you, Sophia. Aw. <laughs> so we have 10 minutes left scheduled. And I know, One, um, that you said that you would stay late. But I don't know what everybody else's time is like. So we have three books to give away. Um, and I think Sophia is helping us on the other side. Um, if um, if we can't get the randomizer to work, I was like, if we could just yeah. pick maybe the best YouTube handle name and maybe somebody who's wearing a green article of attire and then somebody who has a really great tattoo. <laughs> like, <laughs> if somebody in else a, has a tattoo. In an of, appropriate place. In an appropriate place. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia says the random generator works. So, uh, Sophia, is this something that you think you'd be able to pull three names out of with the random generator? Otherwise, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay, she's going to pick three um, from this random generator, and I will read out the names here. Okay. The first person, let me get out my notes here, will get uh, a copy of One's first book, The First Brain. And this is about uh, planarians, correct? Most of it is about planarians. Uh, I use planarians as an excuse to explain pharmacology and neuroscience to the general public. Perfect. And I'll sign Ooh, it for, for the person. Like oh. Look at this like cool little thing. Can you see this, One? Oh, that is so cool. What? This is so cool. She's going to hit the little button. Sophia, you're a genius. Sophia, you're magic. And you didn't even need to eat any of those magic mushrooms. All right. So we've got Kimber. 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 She, she's, from, she's from my lab. I promise that it's not rigged. <laughs> so Kimber, what we can do, if you could, um, uh, actually don't write in the chat what your address yeah. no, is, no, no. you can email One. Um, I will give out his email address here in a minute. We're going to do the second drawing. Yep. And this is going to be for uh, Strange Survivors. It looks like a Nico, a Nico Albert. Oh. Yep. Yay! I have her address. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And the third. No whammy, no whammy, no whammy, no whammy. <laughs> uh, Major Dumperoo. Major Dumperoo. I know who that is. <laughs> okay. And you do too. And I will tell you later because I don't think he wants us blowing up his spot. But uh, okay. Major Dumperoo. <laughs> I, I will also include magnets. Of the uh, of the first brain, uh, the first brain, the drunk flies, and also I wanted to to let everybody know that if you're interested on uh, signed books, uh, it's impractical to send me books to sign back and forth. But what I can do is that if you told me you bought the book, I can order like uh, book plates. The, I was going to say just like the standard book plates. Yes, and and sign it. That idea. Uh, a million years ago, Peter Codron gave it to me, that, that idea. A and I remember that, and that's uh, what I'm going to do. Oh, okay, oh, wait. So we will actually do a different drawing because um, Aniko already has the book. So can we send Aniko magnets and then do a drawing for absolutely. another book? Fantastic. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. If we can do one more. Oh, Nico, get out. Aniko. <laughs> <laughs> Aniko, you just have to get this book again. Wow, what are the chances? All right, let's try again. Oh, wow. This is this is like watching Wheel of Fortune. I'm having flashbacks yep. to uh, hanging out with my grandma watching Wheel of Fortune. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, just delete the one. Okay, cool. Yeah. This is going to make riveting audio for our bonus episodes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> oh, now that, that you remind me about our episodes, we are going to post, Melissa and I are going to post uh, the audio of this uh of this interaction in our respective podcasts and, and of course this will stay uh up on youtube so it's the internet it'll live on forever yes it will maggie rubble 
Hooray! M Maggie has the book. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, uh, okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> this, this has been the funnest part of the evening. <laughs> oh, Kimber gets it again. Kimber will, yeah, Kimber you know, will get it. Yeah. It looks like Marianne was really close on like three of them. Can we just give it to Marianne? You know what? Why not? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, let's, let's give it that. to Marianne Dexter. Because she's almost yeah, Marianne, yes, four please. times. <laughs> we'll give it to Marianne and yeah. I can get her address. Um, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> this, was, this was so much fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. What are the chances? Oh, well, I mean, it's a randomizer. Those are the chances. My husband does statistics. He would be like, this is normal. It's yeah. Yeah. It's statistics. Nice. Um, well, we've got three minutes. Um, I think one other question that I wanted to bring up and, and I didn't even get to any of the, the ones that are a little bit more traditional. Um, so if we want to stick around for that, we can, but when I was, so my podcast is Bewilder Beasts and the little logo of it is a little bee and it's next to a bomb in a flower and it's based on the Croatian bomb detection bee. And one thing that I was reading about in your book was that these bees can also like seek out narcotics and, mm -hmm. and intoxicants um, that they can be trained to do so and that they can also like when they do get drunk or high or whatever. Um, when they get back to the hive, they effectively have little bouncer bees outside the hive. <laughs> and I just thought that was so fascinating. Um, why is it that uh, bees are uh, have bouncers outside of the hive like a nightclub to keep these other bees from coming in? Um, and can you speak a little bit about that and why okay, that was in your sure. book? Yeah, before we go into that, I want to say hello to Wura from my lab. So thank you for being here too. And uh, about, the, uh, about bees, uh, uh, again, we can speculate about how, why bees do this type of thing, but the safest assumption is that it is an evolutionary mechanism that will uh, favor bees who display the behavior of kicking out the drunken ones out of the hive, because the drunken ones, first, they will go inside the hive and do the dance that they uh, do to orient other bees to tell them, oh, the flower is that way but the drunk ones will tell them that the flower is that way, <laughs> okay? And that, that's kind of the simplest assumption that I can think of because, uh, again, it's uh, for a bee, for a, for a bee colony that it's uh, collecting well, they're, food. They're social, so they depend on the entire hive. Exactly, that's and what so I was if you have uh, a frack roll going into the hive being like, it's over there, I think. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's over there. Like it's absolutely. not, <laughs> it's going to hurt the yeah. whole hive. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. What can I tell you? These, these are fascinating critters. Yeah. So oh, the oh. bouncer bees will effectively kick out, you know, the frack girl until she can yeah. make better choices. <laughs> yeah. And there's even videos when they seem to dismember the offenders. Mm -hmm. So that's a deterrent right there. It's a little Game of Thronesy. Um, yeah. There you go. Yeah, little Game of Thronesy. Um, so yeah, we are at eight o'clock. Um, yes. I don't know how many other people have questions. We can um, take questions for the next little bit, or if you guys just want us to keep on talking, I'm, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> this has yeah. been fun. Yeah. So there's a question from Loani. Do chemically do drugs yeah. and alcohol produce the same effect in the brain? Well, yes and no. Uh, yes and no. Uh, they do interact with different type of receptors, but the pleasure pathways in this in the brain are activated by a multiplicity of chemicals. Uh, okay, for example, the dopamine pathway that it's activated by well, uh, again by pleasure, can uh, act uh, upon uh, well, eth ethanol can act upon that, uh, cocaine, nicotine, uh, gambling. Uh, physical, addiction. Uh, drug addiction, physical activity with the other sex, all, all, all these type of things. Uh, uh, okay, so uh, even it, it's like a channeling thing in the sense that 
they may act at different uh, receptor places, but they are the sensations are channeled to the proper channels <laughs> again to cause pleasure and eventually uh, addiction because addiction is very complex. Uh, it's not only be, uh, due to chemicals uh, per se, because again, cell phones can be addicted. We've, uh, we've talked about that before. Yeah, Venn diagrams exist for a reason. So you have chemical, you have behavioral, you have uh, genetics, you have environment, you have all sorts of things that go into the um, into the root of, of addiction. Well, One, yeah. you just like had a book party. <laughs> yes. we did a, a, thanks, thanks again, Melissa. Thanks again, Sophia. It, it, I have no words, which is rare for me. So, so thank you. Can you. attest in all of the best ways. <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. But you know what, One, and and I think I'm speaking for a lot of the people here who who know you and um, and those who will know you through your interviews. Um, this is. A fascinating book. You're a fascinating person. Um, your research is really cool. We didn't even get to talking about how you got into studying cocaine and planarians, which is a great story. So if you have a chance, you can listen to One on the Ologies podcast. Um, he was just recently interviewed for BBC and Live Science and all of these wonderful places. So if you Google One R. Pegan, you will find a lot of places where he's spoken about a little bit more of the more conventional things, how we got started, things like that. My hope today was to give you guys a little bit more about One and, and some of the more interesting stories in his book. And hopefully you guys can go out and get it. Um, I guess uh, Kimber and Aniko do not need to get it again. <laughs> They've got it a hundred times coming out of their ears. Um, but it's a fun read. It's great for the layperson. It's great for the science minded person. It's, really fun. And One, thank you for the opportunity to hang out with you for an hour. This has been great for me. And on behalf of Sophia, I know that she's also really pleased to be here and would also like to extend her congratulations to you and the birth of your new book. So maybe thank then you. like that since like your kids and now your book can be a uh, peace of mind for one more minute. But <laughs> like... <laughs> well, thanks again. God, God bless you both. God bless everyone. And stay out of trouble because God knows I never did. So never have a good night. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, thank you for joining us. I hope to post new episodes real soon. This is once again your favorite ball scientist, One, signing off. Stay out of trouble, even though I never do. <laughs> Bye-bye.